Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined bright and early this Saturday morning by Eric. Hello. How are you? Oh, you know. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm living life. Uh, I'm hanging out. I'm dog sitting in Bushwick. Wow. So. Oh, are you doing dog sitting again? Uh, just like randomly for a couple of friends and stuff like that. Nice. So I'm dog sitting in Bushwick. I'm kind of splayed out right now on a nice big sectional couch. Just chilling. Hell yeah, bro. It's nice. It's sectional nice. life is good life. It really is. I never thought about it before. And then I got here and it's, I mean, truly incredible. Now that I moved, I was like looking around my apartment and I was like, am I going to get an entertainment center <laughs> am i gonna get a fucking tv which i haven't yeah. had in like two years mm -hmm. yeah it's nice having a tv is uh, i haven't had one in yeah like four years i guess since since i've lived in new york and yeah. uh truly it's truly it's nice yeah. Wait, what am I talking about? I, I haven't had a TV. Yeah. in like four years. <laughs> and I was explaining that to my parents and they were like, how? Because, you know, boomers. And right. I was like, cause I use my TV. I use my computer as my TV, mm -hmm. my laptop. So it's not like I'm depriving myself. Don't get me wrong. I watch hours of garbage <laughs> every day. My, my brain is liquid. Right. Right. Yeah. It's weird. Like, cause you do consume so much media on a computer but then when you watch it on a tv it's just like a different experience it feels weirdly like you're treating yourself because you mm -hmm. know i can't be on i mean i guess i could on my phone but when i'm watching tv i try not to be on twitter it weirdly feels like unplugging a little bit even though you're right. not unplugged at all and right. that's why society is doomed <laughs> you know what i do that's weird I, I, that i realize that i do and i realize that it's weird which is when I'm watching sometimes on my computer, but almost every time when I'm watching something on a TV, if I have to get up and like go to the bathroom or grab a drink or something, I leave it playing. Cause it reminds me of like watching cable as a, like a child. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I will put on like an episode. It's always a cartoon at night and turn the volume way down, but I need like some kind of noise in the background. And I think that's also from when I was a little kid yeah. and I would just like leave the TV on and fall asleep. Uh, mm -hmm. We're ruined forever is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Everybody, if you thought we were like well-adjusted or intelligent people in any way, no. sorry to break it to you. <laughs> we're garbage. Uh, before we get any further, I have to thank someone, Eric. Oh. I have to thank Jennifer, who just signed up at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. If you are a supporter of mine, if you like my work, you can sign up over there and you'll get access to a whole bunch of bonus episodes right now. Uh, Charles and I have been breaking down our favorite internet conspiracy theories. Meredith and I, um, oh, actually, this isn't at my Patreon. This was for everybody, but there's a bonus episode of Light Trees and News up right now where we got to speak with the great director, Jeff Barnaby, who directed Blood Quantum, which is a great horror film that everybody should check out if, if you're into horror. I don't want to make you watch something that will upset you, obviously. <laughs> But we had a really cool conversation. That's just up for everybody because I am a benevolent queen and mm -hmm. was like, should I? No, actually, here's what happened. I was like, I'm going to put this up at my Patreon. And Meredith was like, how about you put it up for everybody because we're trying to promote Jeff's film? And I was like, uh huh. <laughs> OK, good point. Yeah. Good point. So that is just up for everyone. You can thank Meredith, not me. I was being greedy and I was like, give me those dollars. Uh, but I also was going to charge a hundred dollars for it. A hundred minimum. <laughs> and you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's up for free because, uh, communists ruined my life. I don't know. <laughs> so, but if you're a supporter of the, if you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of my work, you can go to light news smash the donate button or go to my Patreon where all the bonus episodes are. If you're like, Allison, I want more content. Okay, bitch. Patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. So we are currently in the recommendation zone 
mm-hmm. as I have literally never called it before. I like that show. Though. Thank I you. Like the rec it's way zone. better than way better than segment. Rec zone. Beep, 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 beep. And then air horns. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, we're in the rec zone. I, I hate it. The more I say <laughs> it, the more I'm like, I have to stop. I think you should refer to all of them as zones. Zones. Yeah. You have the good, the good news zone, the bad news zone. But I abbreviate everything unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. we're the G zone. We're the B zone. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you Is imagine if I was like every other morning zoo radio show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I also think you should put zone producer on your, <laughs> on your, uh, okay. on your bio. That's very cool. I'm definitely <laughs> going to do that. So I wanted to get your recommendations. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start off by recommending something that I'm pretty sure I already recommended on the show, but I've officially finished it now. Nice. So now I can be like, it is indeed very good right up until the end. Go watch it. <laughs> the I'll be gone in the dark documentary on HBO uh, is yeah. great. And the ending is devastating, but it's, it's great. It's really well done. There's a lot, in case you don't know, I'll be gone in the dark is based on the book written by Michelle McNamara, who was a great true crime author. She's the one who coined the, uh, the identifier golden state killer in reference to, uh, Joseph D'Angelo, who was a serial killer who was operating in California for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is sadly, Michelle McNamara died before she finished her book or they caught Joseph D'Angelo. So the documentary is about her life. It's about the victims, uh, right. really primarily, and also about Joseph D'Angelo and about how, um, Patton Oswald and, and, um, some true crime, authors finished her book, which is just like fascinating in itself. You know, the idea of being tasked to do something like that is really, really scary and overwhelming. Um, And they did a great job. And yeah, so I I highly recommend if you're a true crime fan. One of the few times I've ever been emotionally affected by a tweet that wasn't like an animal video uh, it, it was when they caught Joseph D'Angelo mm-hmm. and Patton Oswalt tweeted something like, we got him, Michelle, or something. Yeah. And yeah, I he, like that made me cry. That made me like actually start crying. He also I don't know if it was a separate post or if it was on Instagram. He went to her grave and he took a photo of the headstone and said, you got oh, him. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of people credit her for the increased attention on the cases because for, he wasn't a well-known serial killer for many, many years. Um, everybody knew the Zodiac killer, son of Sam, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people didn't even know that they thought originally it was three separate serial killers. And then more and more evidence came out that it was the same guy. And then she gave him the name Mm -hmm. and then there was a ton of attention. And that's when people started to be like, can we like test DNA and stuff and catch this guy? Cause the cases aren't that old and they actually had a ton of evidence collected. Right. And then the police officers were like, yeah, we have a shit ton of DNA of his. <laughs> so once that all kicked off, it was like a matter of time before they caught him. But she's really credited as the one where she was like, why aren't more people talking about this? This guy terrorized mm-hmm. so many people for, I mean, he continued to call his victims up until pretty much they caught him. Jesus. Yeah, he he's a fucking psychopath. But um, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I just I just got one yesterday, and it has taken over my life for the past day. Uh, there's uh, and it's funny because it's an old thing, but it, I guess it just got added to Netflix. But this recommendation popped up on Netflix for a trivia game show called The Chase. I have never heard of this. I had not either. And I, after reading about it a little bit, I guess it, it was, so it originally is one of a long line of British trivia game shows. They love their trivia game shows in, in Britain. They do. Um, and they love to put comedians in oh, trivia yeah. shows. Yeah. Yeah. There's like panel shows that's mostly just riffing. And then there's like traditional trivia game shows. They have the whole gamut. They love them. Um, and, so they made an American version of this show 
that only aired, I think, for f- like three or four seasons between like 2013 to 2015 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they, I guess, just added it to Netflix because it was like a new thing and it popped up on my recommendations. And I started watching it and it's incredible. It's I, I, I mean, I love a trivia game show and this one is so good. It's 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 really, really good. What makes it special? It's you know, it's interesting because it's. I think the thing that works about it is that it's it it features the way the show is set up is that they have three contestants and those three contestants have to answer a bunch of questions. But then there's this guy that they call the beast who is one. of. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. They call him the beast. OK, because he's because he's I believe six, seven. He's what like a giant. Fuck? He's like a giant man. But he's also a like champion quizzer who went to Oxford and has like won a bunch of quiz competitions in England. And he was one of the people from the original British show. And so they brought him on to the American version of the show. And so he's like the house. And so you, if you're a contestant on the show, you're like answering questions to get money, but then also you have to answer more questions than the guy does. Or cause if he, if he answers more questions, you just don't get anything. I so, just like that in your original summary of the show, you neglected to mention the giant who's good at trivia. Yeah, he's a giant of a man who's very good at trivia. Uh, and he's like, yeah, he's like the house. He's not the host. There's a there's an actual like game show host or whatever. But then he's like the house. And so you have to beat you. You have to answer your own questions. And then you also have to make sure he doesn't like you have to hope that he doesn't answer a bunch of questions. This sounds then, insane. It's so good. Uh, the The structure of the show is very good, um, and it's very entertaining to watch. Uh, okay, I might have to check that out. It, it's especially interesting that like you could do ostensibly nothing wrong and still lose. There's something interesting about that because um, he could just be better than you, <laughs> even if yeah. you're not like massively screwing up. Um, but and it's like there's part of it is timed, which is nice. Like it adds a little bit of suspense. Um, and you know, it's just interesting to watch like three people take on one person and still lose. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that to it. The trivia questions are good. Um, so I've watched like two seasons in a day. I just like turn after, cause I was trying to find something to do cause I was just chilling at this, this empty apartment and like trying to like find stuff to do while I watch this dog. And, uh, that popped up and I was like, oh, it looks interesting. I watched one episode and then just immediately just like just went on a tear and watched like two seasons. Uh, real quick. What's the dog's name? Dog's name is Katrina. Katrina. Okay, great. Great Katrina. name. Katrina. She's like, oh God, she's like 13 years old, I think. Um, uh, a, a real treat. Just, just a beaut. Um, what kind of dog? I uh, a mix of things that I do not know, but she's very okay. tiny. I can hold her with one hand. Okay, great. Um, and uh, yeah, she's a, a friend of mine's dog. I've watched her a lot over the past like year or so. Um, she's great. I love her to death. So speaking of old shows we're rewatching, speaking of three people taking on one person Ooh. and those three people losing consistently, mm-hmm. I am rewatching the entirety of Golden Girls right now. <laughs> And uh, as we all know, uh, Blanche, Dorothy, and Rose consistently lose to Sophia. So yeah. that was a perfect parallel, what I just Incredible. said. Incredible. Thank you so much. Uh, I just have to say it is a great show, and the pilot remains perfect. And listen, it's a comedy or some things outdated, sure. But... Still a surprisingly progressive show in terms of the episodes they did where there were gay characters, uh, characters who were immigrants. Um, they have a whole episode about fat shaming. Like it was it was surprisingly progressive for its time. So all of the episodes are on Hulu right now. And I highly recommend revisiting Golden Girls. And it's just it's so funny and I know like that is like a no shit statement, but I'm just amazed by because nothing ages worse than comedy. You know, mm-hmm. it ages really fast. Um, it could be like wildly offensive if you watch some old comedies and just watching Golden Girls. I was like, man, they were so ahead of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a classic 
great show. It's interesting. Like I think as I, I don't even remember when the original airing of that was, but you know, I it was certainly around when I was like a kid. I mean, we're roughly the same age. So I'm, you know, same thing for you, but like, I remember being around and it, it's one of those shows that like when you're a kid, it's on and you're, you're like, you're aware of it and it's obviously like prominent, but like, I don't remember it being as like as much of a cultural, I mean, it's maybe just cause I was a kid at the time, but like, I don't remember it as being as, as much of a cultural touchstone of the time as it is now. I think there's a lot of things from like our youth that like were prominent, obviously, but then like a much more meaning has been attached to it later. Yeah, we were sort of a weird in-between generation where, like, there were certainly a lot of shows on, like, Nick Jr. that were specifically for kids. But Mm -hmm. also a lot of the time we were just watching shows that were made for adults. Right. So, like, Golden Girls, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore. Mm -hmm. Like, for me, watching Nick at Night was just watching shows that my parents watched when they were younger. And they weren't, like, made for kids. But, like, by default, because of in the era they were made, they were kid-friendly, you know? Yeah, yeah. There wasn't, like, language issues. There was no violence. Like, very, very (laughs) PG-to-G-rated shows. But for adults. So I don't know. I think that really molded my sense of humor, too, because I, I was watching. I remember weirdly watching a lot of Murphy Brown as a kid. Oh, yeah. Like political jokes that we did not understand. <laughs> like very yeah. specific to the time political jokes that like watching Golden Girls. There's so many political throwaway lines about candidates that I don't even remember that. I'm just like this. This is wild that I watched this like when I was nine years old. Yeah, another show I love that I have not rewatched, so do not cancel me if it does not hold up, but uh, Designing Women. I never, I don't think I've ever seen a full episode. I don't know if it's specifically like a Southern thing. I think it's set in the South, I believe. believe It's definitely not a Southern thing, and it's like very much in the family of Golden Girls. Like a lot of people who like Golden Girls love Designing Women. Right. I just never got into it. Interesting. Yeah, I remember watching that a lot as a kid. And yeah, that I, was a big one. Yeah. Uh, there is a wild episode of Golden Girls that, like, you can kind of tell because the show was, like, late 80s into the 90s. They were, like, experimenting with the structure of a sitcom. Like, yeah. what can we do with this thing? <laughs> and, like, how can we make more money from this franchise? And there is an episode of Golden Girls where they suddenly just follow a different family. And I was like half paying attention and I suddenly look up and there's all new characters. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) And essentially what the storyline is, is the, the girls, the golden girls are helping their neighbor with her relationship with her husband because he's a doctor and he's very busy and he's very distant. And also they have a son who's like a hot shot, good looking pilot. But like suddenly the whole episode is about them Long story short, I Wikipedia this because I'm like, what the fuck is happening? That was actually the first episode of Empty Nest. Mm, But here's what's crazy. They recast everyone except the hotshot son who's the pilot (laughs) for the actual show Empty Nest. So all of those people, when the show actually started, were not there other than the son. And I was like, that is fully crazy that that's how they introduced Empty Nest. That's really funny. It's so weird. I highly recommend watching it because it's just like, it's not a good episode at all. Right. <laughs> and I see why they recast literally everybody other than the kid. Because when the, the, he's not really a kid. He seems like he's like in his late 20s. But anyway, when he walks in, I was like, okay, he's very charismatic. He's very funny. I get it. Um, but yeah. yeah it's, it, it's interesting, like, when things like that had to happen just because of, like, the constraints of, like, the production and the network system that was so pro- like back then of like, like now you just do whatever. But back then there were so many weird constraints and things you had to do. Cause it was so prominent of, of like uh, uh, the networks and, and cable TV and stuff. So it, it's, some of that stuff is very interesting how they had to like introduce new characters or new shows or it whatever. It feels like weirdly self-conscious. Like they were like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is it, is everybody freaked out? Are, are right. we okay as a society right now? I don't know. Can we do this? It felt very like self-conscious in that way. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other recommendations? Uh, yeah, I got a book. Uh, I just started reading um, 
uh, this book about, um, I believe she's an artist. Uh, or I think she's an artist. She might just be like a reporter or something, but uh, I, f- I forget off the top of my head, but uh, by Robin Nagel called Picking Up. And it's just like a deep dive into sanitation workers in New York. Oh, cool. Um, and it's very interesting. Um, she was like a, yeah, she like, uh, that's right. She's an anthropologist. She, she embedded herself like with the sanitation department, I believe in like the nineties. Um, and was like, just like worked and just like worked with them for, I mean, years, just like really, truly like embedded herself and and wrote this great book called picking up that I I highly recommend. It's a very interesting look into like, yeah, just like trash collectors and, and the sanitation department in New York. Very cool. I have some oldie books to recommend. Mm. I just, I finished Evelyn Waugh's uh, Scoop, which Mm. is a satirical look at journalism, but it is still like so relevant and so biting. It's about (laughs) uh, foreign war correspondents and journalists and how they basically create the conflict with their reporting. Really, really interesting. Uh, and then I'm reading Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov, which is a thick ass book. And I'm just <laughs> True. mentioning it to brag. No, it's uh, really, really funny. It's also a satirical look at the transformation of Russia from a like deeply, deeply religious state to a more modern society through the lens of a very fucked up family. And also there's a little bit of a mystery mm. in the book. Yep. So yeah, I, of course, like everybody who was an angsty teenager, I read notes from underground of course. and I was like, Oh yeah, I like Dostoevsky. Let me read this <laughs> thick ass book during yep. the pandemic. Uh, and yeah, so I'm like on page 200 of 700 of that, but it's, it's great. I, I feel like I'm flying through it. It's, Really well written, and the translation I'm reading is um, phenomenal. Like, really, really preserve the humor of it. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the funnies, Scoop and Brothers Karamazov, two recommendations. Scoop, Scoop made me think of something interesting. Did you ever see the movie Nightcrawler? Yes. <laughs> I love. I I was thinking about that recently. I loved of, it because of kind of my job. Because my a part of my job yes. is it involves filming uh, incidents and crime and stuff. You should say that you are not filming anything. No, you're, I don't film anything. You're not anything. being like a creeper like Jake Gyllenhaal no, in Nightcrawler, no. yeah. The, the platform I work for hosts a video of, of uh, yeah, just general public safety events. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think about that movie a lot. I think that's a really great movie that doesn't get – it doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think it's very interesting, and I think it has a lot of interesting things to say um, about, you know, yeah, like – the incentives when your your whole bag is like you know capturing or yeah just filming i mean specifically in the movie filming but like you know taking photos of crime and it's like well if you're you know if that's your whole that's the whole way you make money and then it dries up like what do you do right right (laughs) um so yeah I i think it's a great movie I'm putting it in the recommendations. Nightcrawler, everybody, check it out. Guys, on that note, so sorry to do it, but we must because it's the structure of the show. Let's get into the B-Zone. Bad news, bad news, sorry. Okay, we must talk about the U.S. Postal Service and the attack against the USPS right now being waged by the GOP, specifically Trump. Um, The United States Postal Service warned almost all of the 50 states and Washington, D.C., that voters could be at risk of not getting their ballots back to election offices in time to be counted because election rules are not compatible with the time needed for delivery and return of absentee ballots through the mail. Um, They announced this on Friday night, which was like, okay. And then Trump said Thursday that he opposes much-needed funding for the USPS because he doesn't want to see it used for mail-in voting this November. So once again, he said the quiet part loud. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> he's know, a fucking idiot. You know, what's really funny, it, it's a really weird, like, I mean, the situation's not weird, but it, the, the, the optics of the situation are this weird, like, it's almost so crazy that it's unbelievable, where it's like, Trump's whole deal is like, I don't want to, I don't want to approve this funding for the post office because of mail, because of voter fraud by mail in voting. And so he's not letting people mail in vote, which is the voting fraud. <laughs> like he's, right. he's committing the fraud by, right. it's like you, you're doing the thing that you're supposedly saying that you're trying to prevent. And it's so uh, like just open it's you know. oh and meanwhile uh he and melania got their mail-in ballots for florida of course, of course so of course he is participating in it in a way that he wants no one else to have the ability to participate in the yeah. same way yeah and it was like originally it was kind of like he was i mean it was sort of i mean it wasn't it wasn't secret but it was sort of like you know at least like under the veneer of like presidential action where like he had to put in a new postmaster general. And so he put in this guy, you know, his buddy, he put in his friend and then the guy went in and just started firing executives and like slashing budgets and like taking away sorting machines and stuff. And it was, you know, and then it was just like, yeah, Trump just came out and it was like, just like straight out said that. And it was just like, I mean, it could not be more open yeah, I mean, we should mention, too, uh, Louis DeJoy, Louis DeJoy, I'm not sure which it is. Uh, he was a huge Trump donor, so basically bought that position. Right, exactly. And then, you know, it's just so, like, the whole crusade on the right against mail-in voting is so obscene because, it, it, like, we've had mail-in voting for a long time. There's very little instances of fraud yeah, I think it. So we should probably talk a little bit about the history of why this is happening. And listen, I know we talk about it a lot on the show. I've been following the attacks against the Postal Service for years and years and years. So if any of this is redundant, sorry. But like for new listeners, I think it's important to revisit. Um, the GOP has always tried to portray the U.S. Postal Service as being uh, um, inept or like poorly managed. But what happened was, I think it was in 2007, the Republican-controlled Congress did something very, very weird, and that was they passed legislation that made it mandatory for the Postal Service to fund the pensions for their employees and their health care benefits and stuff 70 years into the future. Right. If you made any company on earth, including like Apple or Facebook, do that, they would go under. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. I it's, mean, it's 70 years of it's insane. insane. And there was no fucking reason to do it other than the GOP has been salivating for years, for decades, because they want to privatize the U.S. Postal Service because there stands billions of dollars to be made because you can still mail a letter across the country right now using the USPS for like 50 cents. Yeah. I tweeted uh, like a week ago. I was like, I would love for anyone to go to a UPS or a FedEx and give them a letter and hand them 50 cents and see what happens to you. They would kick you in the <laughs> genitals and throw you to the curb because like, yeah. And then spit on you. mail looks like $20, $40 to do something like that. To overnight something via FedEx is very, very expensive. It's now, expensive. And they won't deliver everywhere. That's the thing. They can't even complete their routes a lot of the time. And the USPS is the one who ultimately completes the route. So you're paying exorbitant fees. And sometimes your FedEx delivery doesn't even get there. It is fully a ripoff. <laughs> Yeah, like like FedEx is not going to remote villages in Alaska. Yeah, they're not like because it you know it doesn't. They make would any... get lost and die because they don't know the fucking right. route. And the only people who know the route, up to and including the people who actually live in these homes, is the U.S. Postal Service because yeah. oftentimes you have the same carrier who's been doing the same route for like thirty years. Yep, exactly. Um. So, uh, 
I guess the one good thing that's emerged from all of this is that people are like, do we love the U.S. Postal Service? And the Mm -hmm. answer is, yes, you fucking do, because Mm -hmm. it's one of the last decent institutions in this country and we should fight to protect it because we're never going to get anything like this back ever, ever, ever again. So if we allow the GOP to tank them, it's done. It's over. You know, you're never going to get the ability to mail something for 50 cents back in 2020 ever, ever again. Um, So there's been stories emerging about like, although the USPS has said they're they're halting this now, but a lot of the, the deposit boxes were being taken away. Now, it's sort of like mixed why that was happening. Some of them are just old and out of commission. But also there's these other stories about like sorting machines being taken out of of different uh, postal services. And that's because of budget cuts. Right. So it's sort of like mixed why this is happening. I, I understand everybody's sort of like in conspiracy mode right now, because understandably, because Trump just said the quiet part loud and said, I don't want to fund them because of mail-in ballots. Right. So you're not a tin hat if you're like, the GOP wants to tank the USPS. They absolutely do. But we have to be careful when like people are randomly posting photos of like mail uh, deposit boxes stacked up in like some kind of junkyard looking place. And it's like, just be like routine service. Yeah. But also where is that? When was it taken? (laughs) What's happening? Like, and I I think people are just like rushing to hysteria (laughs) all the time. Well, well, there was the, like, like Jamie Lee Curtis tweeted a picture of like, uh, like a mail truck on the back of a flatbed. Oh my God. And she was kidding. (laughs) And everybody flipped out on her and she's like, I'm joking. Calm down. But yeah, like even shit like that, like you, you can't, Jamie, you can't joke about it right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you saw always infuriate me was like before all this mail in voting stuff, when, when it was just regular attacks against the post office, there's all these like fucking tech bros and libertarians that are like, Oh, like, I mean, obviously Amazon could do the mail so much more efficiently. I was like, motherfucker, Amazon ships all their packages through the mail. Yes. People don't understand there is like a fundamental misunderstanding, A, that the USPS is part of the Constitution. It's like constitutionally protected, but also what the USPS does. And a lot of people, I think, are just like, yeah, well, we we would be fine with like FedEx and UPS. And it's like, motherfucker, no, you would not. Not without the actual structure of the USPS already in place. And if that goes under, we have issues. There's a lot of people in rural communities who will not get their mail, which, by the way, is why a lot of Republicans actually are defending the USPS, too, because they know their constituents will be fucking livid because they won't get their goddamn mail if the USPS goes under. So actually, a lot of Republicans have come out and been like, no, actually, we do need to protect this this institution. It's essential. Yeah, because because if you're a for profit company, it's like why would you deliver to a lot of these small communities? It doesn't make financial sense for you. And, and you can't be basing your decisions off of financial incentives for this stuff. Because right, which it's, is why it's, it's really important to emphasize people are like, well, the USPS operates at a deficit. They're not supposed to fucking make a profit. That's not why they exist. They're not a for-profit business. They provide an essential service. So right. we got to get out of that mindset that they're supposed to make money. No, they're not. That's UPS and FedEx. Right. And and also, I mean, as you mentioned at the top of, uh, of this, it's like, yeah. And also most of their deficit is based on this insane pre-funding of pensions that they're, that they're required to do. If you took that away, they would be just fine. And but that doesn't mean that people wouldn't get their pensions, by the way. They would. Right. But it's it's making them pay for stuff 70 years into the future. And of course they couldn't make that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just uh, if anybody went to their company right now, I don't care who you work for. If you went to your company right now and like, can you give me all of my retirement money right now? Absolutely. They couldn't. No company can do that. Not especially not for all of their employees. Right. So but this has become a convenient narrative for the right, because now the USPS has this huge deficit because of that crazy demand that was made of them. So now this has been used as an excuse to cut and cut and cut their budget. And service has gotten worse and worse and worse. So when you go to the USPS now to mail a letter, there's one postal worker sitting Mm -hmm. at a window and it takes fucking forever that 
is not a failure of the USPS. That was a man-made crisis by Republicans to undermine the USPS as a further excuse to slash their budget, because now everybody's pissed at them because, you know, now we have worse mail delivery services, worse because of these budget cuts. Right. And now they're just speeding it up because they don't want mail in voting for the election in November. I mean, yeah, you know. and I, I think it's great that people were buying merch from the USPS and buying stamps. I think that's great. I think everybody should continue to do that. People bought so much merch that the USPS ran out of a lot of it. Awesome. It's still not going to be enough, though, because no. there's a full on war against the USPS. So I'm really glad that people have realized that it's an essential service and that we should protect it. But I also think we just need to acknowledge that this is going to be like an, an intense fight because this is one of I mean, up there with privatizing Social Security. This is a conservative wet dream if they can take down the Postal Service. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Also, in bad news, I wanted to talk about, so I, I hesitate to put this in the bad news section, but maybe we can, like, frame it more as the, the birther conspiracy theory about Kamala Harris. But I guess let's just talk about her being declared the, the vice presidential candidate uh, <laughs> on the, the Biden-Harris ticket. So this is complicated, right? Because I, mean, uh, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, if you, if you want me to say that's bad news, I'm all game. I'll yeah, say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's complicated because it's like I think we have to acknowledge that it's historic. Um, she is the first black, first uh, person of Indian descent who has been nominated as the vice president. Um, that is historic in the same way that when Obama won the presidency, like you sort of had to just pause and be like, this is historic. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, also I, I know a lot of people, you know, including myself are not happy about Kamala Harris being the nominee because of her history as a prosecutor in, in the state of California. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that the Democrats, for as shitty as they are, and don't get me wrong, they are very shitty, have come a long way in terms of political alignment as a party. And when Kamala was coming up in California, you couldn't get elected as a Democrat unless you presented yourself as being tough on crime, right? right. It just, it would not have happened in the same way that Bill Clinton wouldn't have won the presidency without presenting himself as being tough on crime and like the three strikes laws and all that stuff. That's not to excuse the behavior or to say it wasn't profoundly evil. It was, um, that was just like the political reality of the time. Now that meant Kamala Harris oversaw a system in which thousands of poor black men, uh, went to prison for very minor drug offenses. And she did absolutely heinous things like sending, transgender women to prison with men mm -hmm. uh like unforgivable things right right however because she's a politician and joe biden has done this too she has changed her tune about a lot of things and if i was to put myself in a position where i was like would i rather negotiate with a trump pence ticket or a biden harris ticket of course i would rather be in a position where I have to put pressure on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to change their tune <laughs> than right. Republicans. I think that is self-evident and obvious. And anybody who is freaking out on Twitter right now, like lefty people aren't going to vote for a ticket with Kamala Harris are like delusional. I really, really don't see anybody seriously saying they're not going to vote for Biden because of Kamala. Well, that was sort of why I thought it was a bad pick to begin with not for any reason involving her i mean not for her past but like i don't it to me it just doesn't change anything and i don't i don't think you're you're definitely not losing any voters by picking her but i don't think you're gaining any i don't know who was on the fence and is now going to vote for the ticket you know what i mean like i just I don't, don't know I, I saw a lot of women of color specifically very excited I'm sure they're excited. I mean, they should be excited. But also, just, historically, women of color are like 
they, they'll vote Democrat. You know, the, the people that are really on the fence right now and who determined the 2016 election are racist white moms in the suburbs. Right. Yeah. And I mean, they I, might still vote for Trump. <laughs> they might or they or they just might not vote. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, right. uh, I, yeah, I just don't like. You know, I don't think, you know, obviously, you know, you shouldn't like you don't want to pick somebody conservative or, or moderate to like appeal to, to Trump voters or whatever. That's never going to work. Uh, I just don't you know, I just didn't see like any real political calculation for it other than like she already had a bit of a base from the primary. But then, I mean, the base is going to vote for you no matter what. So I just I don't know. I just didn't seem like to do anything really. Um but I, but well, again, I, it, but I also think, also, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, but to, to your point, it also, I don't think does anything negative. I don't, I don't think you're losing anybody by picking her. You know, so, I just don't. There's a theory right now that Biden knows he's a one term president and he's essentially setting up Kamala to be, yeah, yeah the first black president, yeah. female president, I should say. Um, which again, historic. Um, but, I don't know. I, yeah. So let's talk about the birtherism because Trump is just parading out all of his great hits. Um, so that he holds his press conference and immediately starts with the, well, I don't know if she's qualified to run as vice president. Um, he tried to suggest she wasn't born in the United States. She absolutely was. She was born in California. Um, there's also, I guess, a belief out there that if you are the son or a daughter of immigrants you're somehow not qualified to run for high office in the united states that's not true um her she her father was a uh, jamaican her mother was indian but that absolutely has no bearing on her ability to run for office yeah i i read the um there was an uh, an op-ed by some lawyer in newsweek that i think all of this stems from and and i mean his argument is dumb you know, uh, I think his his I believe what he argued in the op ed was that both of the, the at the time she was born, both of her parents were here on some sort of uh, like a worker visa or something. They were not. So they were they had not fully immigrated. They were here on a visa. And so right. according to if you look at the uh, on the when you when you read the um, the birthright citizenship clause, it says that you have to be like subject to, to people that are like subject to the laws of the United States or whatever. And that because they were here on a visa, they were actually subject to the laws of their home country. I mean, it's a stupid, dumb it's lawyer. So that's, dumb, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it's stupid and it's, and it's racist. And, you know, it, it, you know, when people say like, Oh, it's, it's not racist. It's, you know, a legal thing. It's like, well, nobody thought that like John McCain wasn't, you know, nobody questioned John McCain's citizenship because he was born in Panama or whatever, right, you know, right. it's like, uh, you know, nobody like Ted Cruz, I think was born in Canada originally or something or, and, dad, like, and let's remember is the Zodiac killer or and is the Zodiac killer. Uh, so, you know, it's just like, you know, like, when people say like, oh, it's not racist to like look at the law. It's like, well, it is racist if you're not questioning all these other, you know, edge cases. Yeah. How convenient, uh, how convenient that you only focus on the woman of color. Right. Um, yeah, I should say, too, I think it's beyond like an optics thing where he was just like, I just need like a black woman, like any black woman. Uh, I, I do think it's a concession by Biden that he is the past and people of color are the future of the Democratic Party. Now, would I much rather have had like an Abrams or, or a Bass? Like, yeah, of course. Um, but I do think it is an acknowledgement that like Joe Biden represents a different era. And if he is, if they win, if he becomes president, he probably won't make it to a second term. I don't even know if he wants to make it to a second term. And right. this is sort of him handing over the, the reins of power to the future. Even if we don't like the idea of Kamala being the future of the Democratic Party, I do think it's a concession that like times are changing. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. I think. In general, like, you know, obviously you should critique people's past and stuff, but also like I think if you're a lefty and you're waiting on the Democratic Party to like, like endorse police 
uh, abolition, you're like, it's never going to happen. Did like, you I think... see that the Policeman's Benevolent Association just backed Trump? <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. I tweeted, is it possible for something to be too on brand? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're just like I mean that's like the 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 PBA and the SBA Twitters are like some of the craziest like Yeah. It, I mean like it would not surprise me if if one of those organizations started tweeting out like Q tweets or something, you know. Okay, so this is going to send us over time, but I really think we should talk about it because it's going to be a huge issue in the election and I just want people to have it on their radar when you see your relatives posting QAnon conspiracy theories on Facebook. I can't Let's believe talk... this has become so freaking mainstream. I, well, I, like... yeah, I know. Well, but really, you can't believe it. Like, here we are. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about it because QAnon started as this fringe conspiracy theory a few years ago on 4chan and 8chan, in which there were these conspiracy theories that very powerful people in politics and in Hollywood um, and people in the media are running like child sex trafficking rings. And it gained a lot of traction, especially when the Jeffrey Epstein stuff happened, because it was it seemed like, oh, my God, is this true? <laughs> um, right. So but the reason it matters is it has transitioned from the fringes of the Internet to now QAnon candidates are, are running and winning seats uh, in in office. So Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene who is a vocal supporter of QAnon, won her election in a House primary runoff earlier this week. And there are uh, a handful of these candidates uh, all over the country. And also they have supporters like Representative Matt uh, Gatz. Is that how you say his name? Gates. Gates, the Republican in Florida. Um, and Trump and a lot of people in the White House have refused to distance themselves from the QAnon conspiracy theory world because they know those people will support them in the election. Well, one of the weird things about Q becoming so mainstream is that I think it's far enough removed from the original conspiracy that people don't even know how unhinged the actual conspiracy is. Right. It was started by an anonymous poster on 4chan claiming— Named Q. Named Q, yeah, and he, uh, this random anonymous poster started posting things on 4chan claiming to be a deep insider in the Trump White House, and the the actual conspiracy is that there is a, there is a, a a global cabal of politicians and rich wealthy elites who run a child trafficking, child you know pedophilia. Also, uh, they uh, they, they like eat babies. Uh, and also and like harvest their organs. That's also part of the conspiracy. And and the and also that Trump, when he got elected president, is secretly arresting all of these people. Right. And he's playing into this a little bit with the the anti-child trafficking. Right. Funding that like it's it's very like. Ostensibly, it seems like a noble thing, but really it's sort of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to QAnon. Right. And like, I mean, like a lot of these people, I mean, believe that like Trump has secretly arrested a lot of major figures like Hillary Clinton. And then like anytime you see them in public, they're actually like on house arrest and wearing ankle monitors. But Which they is like that. It's so crazy in itself, but it's extra crazy when you consider Trump was named as one of the Epstein <laughs> People There's videos of him. There's who, videos of him with Epstein. Yeah, and he was like in the dossier, like he absolutely raped underage girls, but yet he is anti-child sex trafficking. Like it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like the the conspiracy goes so far where it's like, yeah, they believe that Trump is secretly arresting all these high-profile politicians, but they can't tell the public what's happening because it would cause mass chaos. So it's sure. all so it's all secret, but he's secretly arresting all of these people. I love but, that they don't consider 2020 already mass chaos. Right. They're like, right, no, exactly. we can't. It would destabilize us too much. It's like, so, how? So the conspiracy is that Trump is arresting all these people, but it has to look normal for everyone so that people don't go into chaos. Um, and of course, like any good conspiracy, it's fueled by a little bit of truth. There is absolutely rich people, you know, trafficking, you know, Epstein. I mean, obviously Epstein was like yeah. the, the big thing. But like Bill um, Clinton, 
Donald yeah, Trump. I like mean, there are powerful people <laughs> yes. who are doing this shit. Reality is weird enough, but then right. they tag on like, you probably heard QAnon in the news when the whole Wayfair thing happened. Yes. Wayfair oh, was God. doing something shady. What Wayfair was doing was price gouging during a pandemic. Suddenly everybody wanted to buy furniture because we're all sitting at home and like people are, you know, I don't know, redecorating, moving. And Wayfair started price gouging. So suddenly something like a dresser was costing like tens of thousands of dollars. And people were like, why is it costing so much? And QAnon was like, oh, because kids are inside the furniture and you're <laughs> actually buying a kid. Right. So then Wayfair employees had like death threats issued against them and stuff like that. But yeah, like Q is gaining a lot of mainstream traction and that should concern all of us for November. There's, a, there's also a part of the Q conspiracy that people, it's something about John F. Kennedy Jr. Like people think he's alive and that he's in disguise, I think. I mean, it's like any conspiracy theory, right? Like yeah. it, it evolves so quickly that eventually right. it doesn't even resemble what it started as. It's like, what are we talking about now? It's like hearing people speak a different language. Yeah. Guys, I, sorry, we went off on a cute <laughs> tangent, but it, it felt important, especially because you know, your crazy aunt is going to be posting Q conspiracy theories. Oh, another thing I wanted to say is Q is now being used as an excuse to, uh, shut down a discussion about like police reform and black lives matter, because it is a very convenient thing for Q supporters to have in their pocket. Whenever anybody's like, Hey, can we talk about police violence? They can turn around and be like, why are you even focusing on that when children are being raped? Let's right. talk about important things. And it's a way to shut down reasonable debate about things that we should be talking about. So like do watch your crazy aunts and make sure they're not, <laughs> and your uncles or crazy uncles, posting about QAnon shit. Right? Right. Yes. Let's get into the G zone. The All right, in good news, let's just take a moment to give thanks for our patron saint, Dolly Parton, yes. who recently, amazingly, uh, was asked about Black Lives Matter. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, uh-oh. And I was also like, uh-oh, because I love Dolly. But, you know, Dolly's from a different time. Dolly's from the country music world. I wouldn't claim to know anything about Dolly Parton's politics, but, you know, it's definitely a tricky moment for, let's say, an older person to field a question like this. And she responded, I understand people having to make themselves known and felt and seen. And of course, Black Lives Matter. Do we think our little white asses are the only ones that matter? <laughs> no. Dolly? Only as Dolly could. Our little white asses are not the only ones that matter. What a great answer. She's right. Um, once again, I'll just say, uh, you know, WWDD. What would Dolly do? Yeah. You should always ask yourself that. Yeah. What would you do? Uh, Probably establish a theme park in your little hometown so people have jobs. Write beautiful songs. Take no shit in business. Uh, have a career with incredible longevity. Help children and read. Help children read. And uh, ask, why do our do our little white asses matter more than other people's little asses? No. No, they don't. So I'm putting that in good news because Dolly is always good news. Yeah, I love Dolly. Gosh. Just constantly, just constantly out there being being wholesome and good. Being Dolly. Yeah. I also wanted to put in the good news section and congratulate. U.S. Representative Ilhan Omar, who won her Minnesota primary election on Tuesday. And I think this is really important because uh, I was talking with a friend of mine who was surprised that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was not invited to speak at the DNC. At least right now, she's not on the schedule. The DNC kicks off next week. And my friend was surprised and I had to explain like, 
I'm not surprised because there's still so many moderate Democrats who view people like AOC and Ilhan Omar as being too extreme for Mm -hmm. the party, which, again, is absurd because, you know, we were just talking about Biden views Kamala as the future when actually the future of the party is Ilhan Omar and AOC. Right now, they're being viewed as being too radical. But for me, that's like, give it it's a matter of time, you know, before they're considered mainstream because shit keeps getting worse and worse and worse in this country. You know, we just we're living through a plague right now. And still the Democrats, the moderate Democrats are not seriously talking about Medicare for all. In fact, they can't run fast enough from the idea like if a plague doesn't get you to take the idea of healthcare for all Americans seriously, truly nothing will, which is yeah. why I'm like Ilhan Omar and AOC are the future. Any candidate who's like, I'm going to try to save the most people I can is the mm-hmm. future of the party, <laughs> right, you know, just right. like logically, just think about it logically for a second. So I think it's great. Ilhan Omar won her election because it legitimizes her further where it's like, she, she wasn't a flash in the pan. Like people like what she's saying and they support her. No, all of the squad won their, won their primaries. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, by a good bit, I mean, they, they're very popular in their communities. You they know, also shock, raised surprise. a huge amount of money. Yeah. Uh, she raised 4.3 million and her opponent raised 4.1 million, but mm. she's an incumbent and sometimes the enthusiasm for an incumbent fades a little bit. That's that's why a lot of the forecasters for the national election are calling it for Biden. Because yeah. it's it's as psychotic as Trump's supporters are, as an incumbent, you're held to a different standard where like people just have to look at the economy and jobs and to see like what kind of job you did, you know? Right. Um so it's harder. So the fact that Omar raised more money than her impo- her opponent as an incumbent is significant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, I mean, they, they all did great. They're, you know, I think there's this thing of, like, the National Party is always, like, looking at conservatives or, like, moderates. And they're like, oh, well, these people will never go for our, like, hard left candidates. But, like, all of these candidates are super popular in their communities. I mean, that should tell you something. Yeah. And like, I know there's a trend now with like white lefty bros to be like, oh, if the future of the party is AOC, we're in trouble. I'm like, why are you hostile towards this woman? Like, have you ever heard an actually coherent explanation of why lefty bros hate AOC? I think, no, I mean, no, I, my guess would be that there is a definite, it's a weird split. I mean, I think that there's a lot of lefty people that want the the democratic party to be full, like full hardcore card carrying socialists. Sure. How how do they, how do they think we get there? I don't know. I mean, there's, I mean, I don't think they have a, 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 I mean, they don't have a plan. I mean, I think, you know, I, but you know, what's interesting to me is that like, I think, I think if that's, that's kind of what I was saying earlier about like, you know, wanting the Dems to endorse police abolition. It's like you should have your goals, but then you have to recognize that a, a, a national party, it, you know, it, if you want them to get there, it takes a long time because they're concentrated on, you know, a vast majority of the country that does not believe in those things. And you have to, you have to get them there. You can't just demand that they support it. You have to get those people there. So you have to, it's a constant, it's a constant fight and constant work if you want to. And it's constant compromise and you have to eat shit sometimes. And, but I also understand the backlash of like, people being like, yes, queen about Kamala, you know, where it's like, it's, it's not enough that a woman of color is nominated as VP. Like you do have to look at a record. You have to hold her accountable. But I also think it's incredibly condescending to assume that people won't do that with her. Like, I don't know if, if people are having a moment of celebration where it's like, this is the first time that a, you know, a, a woman of color has been on this high profile of a political ticket in the U S I think it's okay if people have that moment and I'm not going to rush to assume that they don't care about her record as a prosecutor, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, she obviously, you know, she obviously has a base of supportive people 
and it's just an internal split in the party. I think, you know, it's, you know, uh, I don't know if it gets resolved. It might just, I mean, it's all incrementalism. So, you know, if you're interested in trying to move one of the two major parties to, to you know, uh, to the left, it's going to, you can't just, you know, you got to keep working on it and you can't just expect them to drop everything and, and pick up your demands. Uh, so you have to just keep working on it or just, I mean, leave the party. Like don't, I right. mean, you know, you, you have to support another party if that's, if that's how you really feel. Right. Uh, and then guys, let's end things with an adorable story. Guys, there's a baby boom of elephants in Kenya. Wow. In I know in Kenya's, uh, Abaseli National Park, 140 elephants were born in a single calving season, which is a record. Yeah, a record in the park known for like these breathtaking views uh, and the savannah. And there were actually uh, two twin little baby elephants born, which is incredibly rare. So, yeah, they're crediting this to there was um, higher than usual rainfall. Um, mm, interesting. Yeah. So, but this is great. Um, in drought years, female elephants often can't find enough food to supply their calves with milk, even in these like protected huge parks. So mm. the rains this year have brought so much vegetation. There's been no problem supporting the newborns. So yeah, lots of little baby elephants. So yeah, I'm putting that in good news because baby, I mean, elephants in general are hashtag good news. But little baby elephants are extra good news. That's so cool. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. I've been really Boom. Re- educated in the G zone. Nice. Listen, uh, I know G zone sounds like G spot, but mm-hmm. I'm embracing it. Okay. Go for it. You just, I say lean into it. Okay. I'm leaning. What were you saying? I interrupted you. Oh, I just, I, you know, that's, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. I've been reading a lot recently about um, like, uh, wildlife conservation rangers in Africa. Mm. Um, I think it's a very interesting uh, story and community people and and all that's you know anti anti poaching activists and things. You like that. you gotta you gotta check out Tom Hardy's series on it. What Tom Hardy's a series about this? I didn't know. Yeah, I truly have told you to watch this three times on the show. Literally, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, <laughs> let me called? try to let me try to find it. Uh, but. <laughs> He, uh, it's really interesting because he, uh, obviously it's, it's called Poaching Wars. It came out in two, 2013. Okay. Um, and how many episodes is it? I forget. It's good, but they get into, and this was super interesting because obviously everybody involved in the project is like, we are anti-poaching, but they present the perspective of some Africans who uh, poaching used to be the sport of colonizers So when Africans started doing it, it was sort of like an empowering thing where they were like, we now we get to do it because the white people used to do it. So it's sort of a matter of, you know, unconditioning people as well to not see poaching as this sort of like empowering thing and that they're just like decimating species. Right. And I yeah, there's that. I think it's, you know, especially now, I mean, during like a global pandemic, um, a lot of these places, that's a huge source of money and that can't be overlooked. I mean, it, you know, obviously as somebody in the West, it's hard, it's hard to like think about both sides of poaching, but you know, you have to understand a lot of these people need money and that's a incredibly lucrative source of money. Um, and a lot of it comes from, from trade and, and like in Asian countries. So like, it's a, it's a global system. Um, I was listening to this interview with this, uh, this guy who directs an, uh, an organization called edge. I think it stands for like eco defense group or something, but he, but he's an American who trains rangers in Africa and stuff. And for specifically, I forget the name of the place, but specifically this one place, uh, to protect rhinos. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an incredibly interesting topic and there, it's so, it's a much bigger deal than I think a lot of people realize, like not just the defense, but just the whole industry, I think of, of poached animals and rhino horns and, you know, just all these different things. Like it's a much bigger deal than I think a lot of people even realize. Cause it's sort of out of our 
perce- you know, it's out of our perception. It's out of our, you know, minds for the most part. So I think it's a very interesting topic. So I've been trying to like read up on it and read a lot about it. Well, check out Poaching Wars, bitch. This is the third time I'm telling you. Everybody watch Poaching Wars. I literally don't ever remember you telling me about Poaching Wars. Okay, well, now I just called you a bitch, so you have to remember. Sorry. I will do it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will. hostile. Oh, my God. Guys, please follow Eric after I berated him at the end of this show on Twitter at E-R-E-K underscore Smith. Check out Based Pod on Twitter and listen to his podcast as well. Sure. And you're st- are you still doing episodes? Uh, yeah, I had to take a little time off because of work stuff, but uh, I should be back uh, uh, shortly. Um, Fucking sweet. Uh, please follow me at Allison Kilkenny literally everywhere. I'm not creative with my handles, guys. It's always just my name. Go to patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny to support lighttreason.news to support. Guys, thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>